0: Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Story Houston's online worship service. My name is Eric Huffman. I'm the lead pastor here at The Story. And wherever you're tuning in from, I am just so glad that you're here. It means the world that you're here. And whether you're watching on Facebook or YouTube or on our website, thestory.church, Um, There's probably a chat feature or a comment section where you can check in and let us know that you're here, and um, it's really cool when you let us know where you're tuning in from. So it's cool to see the different cities and places throughout the country and world where people are watching from, and it really is a good reminder that we're all in this together. So uh, be sure and do that this morning. Uh, We're continuing a series now called In the Image of God, and for two weeks now already, we've been talking about the intrinsic worth worth and equal value of every human life. And I've spent two weeks so far setting the table for this series and for this discussion we're going to have today and for the rest of this month. Um, And now it's time for us to really dig in and apply what we've been talking about to real life issues. And we've chosen some pretty tough ones, like I'm asking for your prayers and, uh, and support as we get ready to launch into these conversations because... Some of these conversations we're having are incendiary by nature, and these issues are just tearing us apart individually, and and friendships and family relationships are being torn apart, especially during an election year. And so, um, nevertheless, we need to have these conversations, and every Sunday for the rest of September, we're going to be tackling a different issue, either racism or immigration and refugees or gender and marriage, Um, we're going to get to those later, but first, today, we're going to be talking about the difficult issue of abortion, and this is where I'd like uh, to just give a heads up to our parents. Parents, I don't um, know. I know that every family is different, and if if your kids have not heard this. Uh, conversation or had this conversation with you, this is not the right time for them to hear about it for the first time. And so this is your chance to pause Pastor Eric and uh, get them going, get the kids going in another room with an iPad or something on our YouTube channel uh, with our Story Kids programming that's available there, Um, because this uh, conversation may not be entirely appropriate for kids of all ages. Again, I know every family is different. Just want to give you that heads up. For this conversation today, I'm so fortunate and happy to have my friend and my sister in Christ with me today, Mrs. Meredith Dewey. Meredith is the CEO of LifeHouse Houston, which is one of the story's um, partner organizations here in town. I'm sure she's going to tell us more about LifeHouse momentarily, but first I want to tell you the most important thing about Meredith— is that she loves Jesus and her faith is put to work every day. It's not just a talk. It's, she's walking the walk every single day. Um, the other thing about Meredith, I want you all to know, is that she has a different last name than the last time that I saw her and the last time that she joined us here at the story. Uh, so Meredith Phillips, formerly Meredith Phillips, is now Mrs. Meredith Dewey. She is a newlywed. So congratulations on thank you. your marriage. And um, really, thank you for being a part of this message today.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to be here.
0: Really means a lot. Thank you. So um, I've gotten to know you, Meredith, over the past couple of years, mostly through LifeHouse. And I've just been such an admirer of your work there and uh, how passionate you are about uh, leading LifeHouse well. But before you really talk more about LifeHouse, maybe you could just share a little bit more with us about who you are and uh, even what drew you to LifeHouse in the first place.
1: Yeah, I'd love to share. Well, I was born and raised in here in Houston, Texas. Not a lot of natives here anymore, <laughs> but I love um, living here and being born here. Proud of that, proud Texan. But I actually had a little bit of a tumultuous childhood. Mm. I uh, was born into um, a family where my dad struggled with mental health. He had bipolar, so had a lot of inconsistency growing up, not a lot of stability. My mom. Was the glue that held our family together and unfortunately she was diagnosed with breast cancer um, when I was eight years old and ultimately passed away when I was 11 years old. So after she passed away, um, my dad wasn't actually really able to care for me and so I ended up orphaned myself and experienced a familial adoption so it was a family member that ultimately ended up um, raising me after my mom passed away. I actually I met Jesus in high school but there wasn't a lot of discipleship that was taking place. So I knew um, who Jesus was and I was introduced to him, but how to walk that out and be a disciple of Jesus was where the real confusion and blurriness came in for me. Yeah. So I, I went to college and lived, you know, your Western, typical Western lifestyle, partying and sorority and all that. I graduated and knew that I needed more. And so I was then introduced to a family, actually in your congregation here at the story, before the story existed. And um, they really imparted to me a passion for life. And they did that through allowing me to move into their home and showing me through when I was really broken, just the value of my own life. And they showed me what it meant to be in a Christian unit, Christian family. And they walked that out with me. So there was true discipleship that was taking place in a home. And even though I was, you know, in my, Adult years, uh, I was really being sewed into some major sort of things that I needed in order to live out my faith.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so that's how awesome. I, introduced I can see it. how mm-hmm. the seeds they planted then are, are, are coming to harvest now yeah. through your work. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit more about LifeHouse then and, and um, what LifeHouse stands for and what the mission is and, and what you do on a daily mm-hmm. basis.
1: Yeah. So LifeHouse exists to help a woman in an unplanned pregnancy. We walk with her, we hold her hand, and we really help her as she's, you know, going through that d- decision-making phase right. um, to choose life with with the baby and be a mom. And so um, what we do is we ask them to move into our homes. We have house parents. We really believe in the house parent model. We adopt the women into our families at LifeHouse first. We love on them. And then we help them as they carry that baby, you know, to um, term. Yeah. We do present adoption to every single resident that comes to us. So they have that decision to parent through adoption or they have a decision to single parent themselves.
0: Yeah. So in any given year, about how many women do we help through LifeHouse? Yeah.
1: So we serve through our residential program anywhere from 60 to 80 women a year that move into our homes. And then we continue to walk with them after, and we have hundreds that we could still keep in touch with to this day.
0: So it's not just about pre-birth. The care continues beyond.
1: Beyond. Forever if they'll let us. Wow. Yeah.
0: Praise God. That is so awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, So Meredith, uh, again, I'm glad you're here. This is the first time I'm going to be speaking directly uh, from the uh, pulpit, I guess, uh, so to speak, on the subject of abortion. And that's in part because it's such a volatile issue. And you can't really talk honestly about abortion in either direction, I guess, on either side of the aisle without hurting people, without offending people. So often, um, we just end up avoiding these issues because we don't want to lose any friends, you know, and um, and add pain to anyone's life. But I, I, I guess it's also because I haven't spoken about this publicly because just seven years ago, I had a very different worldview than I have today. And so seven years ago, I was an adamantly pro-choice um, activist. I believed in and fought for a, a woman's right to, to choose abortion seven years ago. Um, and it really wasn't until after my um, come to Jesus meeting in 2013 uh, that I actually had with Jesus, <laughs> that I started to rethink my worldview. And I started to reconsider some of the things that I'd been told were true. But I had to, to look at everything again through the lens of Jesus. And I had to try and build my worldview and my ethics around the Bible um, instead of trying to fit the Bible into my preconceived worldview and, and ethics, if that makes sense. And so um, what I discovered is, I'm sure what you've known now for years, is that when you look at God in Scripture, there's just no denying that God is a lover of and defender and protector of all human life. We've been talking about Genesis one twenty six and 27 now for two weeks, where God made people, humankind, in His image. And so every human being, regardless of, uh, you know, the success of their life or their age or whatever. Uh, Every human being is created in the image of God. And uh, that has to have an impact on our ethics, on our worldview, on issues like this. But also there's like the psalmist who writes in Psalm 139, 13 13 through 16, for you created my inmost being. He's talking to God, obviously. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Wow. When you read passages like this, you just, you can't escape um, the ways that God is, I guess the word is pro-life, as uh, political as that term has become, there's just no denying that this is where God is, where human life is concerned. And so today we're going to talk specifically about abortion, and Meredith, I'm glad you're here to join me. Uh, if y'all like what you hear today, I want you to know that, that I thought this up, and this was my idea, but if, uh, if you don't like what you hear today, then, then this was all Meredith's fault. So <laughs> you're good with that? Okay. <laughs> I'll let you give them your email address. <laughs> so, Meredith, as somebody who works on a daily basis with vulnerable and pregnant mothers, um, what is something that you and your staff see every day that might surprise ordinary folks that aren't privy to the same stories?
1: Yeah, I'd love to share a story actually Great. that might really give you a good example of what we see every day. Um, we recently had a woman move into our home. She was in a process of making her decision for life. So she actually didn't know she was uh, what she was going to do. She was actually very abortion vulnerable. And she was angry. She moved in and she was embittered. She had a hard life. Yeah. She was orphaned herself. She was abused for most of her life. She didn't really have a mentor or a mom or a dad that she could go to. She found herself in a situation where she was actually raped and mm. moved in. Like I said, didn't know what she was going to do. And what we asked is that she would just give it two weeks to where we could love on her and we could really spend time with her, show her the love of Jesus as much as we could, and walk with her through that decision-making process. Well, she came to us two weeks later, and she informed us that she was Going to be indeed choosing life. And we asked her because there wasn't any coercion involved. It really was just giving her some food and loving her and giving her space to just be for a moment. And she said, I'm choosing life because I've seen the preciousness and value of my own life through the way that y'all have loved me. And so, because of that, she wanted to be sure that this baby inside of her had an opportunity. To see the same.
2: Oh,
0: wow. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. Yeah. So what ended up happening? Yeah. With her?
1: So she actually went on and <laughs> she uh, went to the doctor and, um, you know, had her sonogram, everything. It's the wildest thing. The doctor actually said, you, your baby is, um, the brain is underdeveloped and we think that you should have an ab- abortion yourself. And she said, no, I what I cannot turn back from what I have seen. so it was like her whole world view had changed according to just the love that she had experienced and what the Holy Spirit had really shown her when he met with her. Yeah. and so so she told them no, she did indeed have the baby um, and the baby lived for six months. We walked with her through all of that mm. and um but today, when you talk to her, she still says. I never regret my decision because it, it absolutely changed my life. It changed wow. my life. That baby changed my life. So um, so yeah. the
0: love y'all showed her mm-hmm. taught her that she's worth something. Yeah. And she loved her baby for six months, well, in the womb and for six months outside of the womb, mm-hmm. um, as y'all had taught her to love herself. It's just mm-hmm. it's amazing how God works in these situations. So um, I've, I've been around LifeHouse enough to know that that story – Although it's a, it's a dramatic story, it's um, not entirely outside of the norm of the, the kinds of stories we encounter all the time at LifeHouse, and I'm so grateful um, that you shared that with us. So thank you, Meredith. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of things I wanted to share. First is that as we talk about abortion, I want to make sure that our tenor is one of mercy, that we, as a starting point, have grace, abundant grace, in our hearts because people always have a lot to say about abortion, and it always seems to be adding more shame upon shame or more pain upon pain. And Christians, especially, have uh, earned a reputation for being especially callous or distant um, and hateful, even when it comes to women who've chosen to have abortions. And I want us to approach this differently. I don't think that reflects the heart of Jesus. And so we need to approach this issue with as much sympathy and humility in our hearts as possible because most of us, not all of us, but most of us have no idea what it's like to be in the shoes of a woman who has chosen abortion or one who's thinking about choosing it today. I know that there are people watching right now, people who call the story home, lots of people who call the story home who have had abortions. I know that that must have been an unimaginable brutal choice to make, and I know that every circumstance is not the same. And so the last thing that I want to do is to add in any way to your trauma. And even if you've never had an abortion, I promise you that you care about and probably love a woman who has. Whether you know that or not, the numbers just don't lie. In America, one in four women have had an abortion, at least one abortion by age 40 on average. So let's not be under any illusion here that this is a, an issue that's way out there in the big bad world or something, and it's not really a part of us as the church, as Christians. That's false. This issue, abortion, is a part of our story now. It's a part of who we are now, or who we've been at least. So that's one thing I wanted to clarify. The next thing is that uh, I, I want us to avoid shifting all the blame and shame on this issue toward women who've chosen abortion in the past. Studies show that more than half of women who've elected to have an abortion did so under the pressure, outside pressure of other people in her life. Oftentimes that's men who have at least uh, coerced or paid for or um, pressured or, or maybe even abandoned this woman in her time of need after getting her pregnant all kinds of cowardice there, all kinds of complicity there. And so, guys, this isn't about just women. If you're a pro-life man, this isn't just about other people's sin. This is all of us together in some way or another. We're all in this issue together. It's part of all of our story. Finally, what I'll clarify here is that uh, while the Bible is clear about abortion being an affront to God, I don't think that every situation is exactly the same. I don't want us to treat every situation as though it's, it's equal. So I think we need an, an added layer of mercy, at least, an added layer of mercy where situations like the story Meredith told are involved, uh, situations of rape and, and incest. And there's also, uh, obviously, the rare, very rare medical cases where a procedure is necessary to end a pregnancy in which something has gone awfully terribly wrong and the mother's life is actually in danger or or something's awfully wrong with with the unborn child. We had an issue like this recently in the life of a family here at the story, and so I do not want to ignore those situations. Although they are exceedingly rare, I do not want to ignore those painful, unimaginable circumstances. So those are some of the things that I'm not really here to talk about. Some of the stuff you're going to hear me say for the next five or ten minutes, it's not really about those situations, okay? I'm not here to talk about politics or who you should vote for, who you shouldn't, whether or not you should be a one-issue voter. I'm going to leave that to you and your conscience after hearing what I have to say. Instead, what I'm here to talk about for the third week in a row is the implicit value and equal worth of all human life. That's the issue, really. We're talking about abortion, but the issue is the implicit value and equal worth of all human life. And so to that end, regardless of your political persuasion or your personal feelings on the issue of abortion, I just want you to honestly wrestle with two questions. This is it. I just want you to honestly grapple with these two questions. Number one, is an embryo
2: or fetus a life? Is an embryo alive? And number two, is an embryo or fetus human? All right.
0: So medically speaking, scientifically speaking, the answer to both of these questions is an emphatic yes. Uh, From the moment of fertilization, uh, this zygote is rapidly growing, expanding rapidly by the second, Uh, cells are dividing uh, constantly and within just a few weeks the heart is formed and there's a heartbeat in the fourth week after conception the embryo is obviously a living thing but is it a living human thing that's the second question and again the answer is without a doubt every single cell that is dividing is is encoded with dna that is decidedly human and it is also uniquely human, uh, and unique to this human. So uh, it's unlike any other DNA in the universe. And so by the third week after conception, all the systems necessary for human life outside of the womb, such as skin, the nervous system, eyes, ears, the heart, lungs, intestines, it's all already in development by the third week following conception. So the embryo or, or baby or fetus, whatever you want to call this life, is obviously alive and obviously human. And what's interesting really is that this uh, has become uh, an area of agreement among people who are both pro-life and pro-choice. It didn't used to be this way. When I was pro-choice just, you know, seven plus years ago, it wasn't this way. But in recent years, because of the science, really, uh, people who are pro-choice have stopped denying that fact. And now uh, we all kind of Agree. There's widespread consensus that an embryo or uh, or uh, 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 unborn baby is is an autonomous human life. And so the question then becomes: How much does unborn human life matter? That's the real sort of sticking point. And in a, an article that she wrote for Salon.com, um, Mary Elizabeth Williams, who is by no means Um, an extremist. She is a pretty mainstream secular author and columnist. for. She writes for the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, and other great publications, but she wrote this for Salon.com, and the title of this piece is uh, So so What If Abortion Ends Life? So What If Abortion Ends Life? And she starts the the piece this way. She says, of all the diabolically clever moves the anti-choice lobby has ever pulled, Surely one of the greatest has been its consistent co-opting of the word life. Life, she writes. Who wants to argue with that? Who wants to be on the side of not life? That's why the language of those who support abortion has for so long been carefully couched in other terms. While opponents of abortion eagerly describe themselves as pro-life, the rest of us have had to scramble around with not nearly as big-ticket words like choice and reproductive freedom. The life conversation is often too thorny to even broach. And then she continues, here's the complicated reality in which we all live.
2: All life is not equal. All life is not equal, she writes. That's a difficult thing for
0: liberals like me to talk about, lest we wind up looking like death panel loving, kill your grandma and your precious baby stormtroopers. That she ends her piece this way. I would put the life of a mother over the life of a fetus every single time, even if I still need to acknowledge my conviction that the fetus is indeed
2: a life, a life worth sacrificing. It's chilling. There's a word for this. It's child sacrifice.
0: It's absolutely chilling. If that doesn't get our attention, regardless of how we vote, we really have to check ourselves and see that our culture has become so obsessed with defending abortion that many have resorted to making arguments like this, that all life, all human life is not equal. And the same people, in many cases, who rightly say that black lives matter Also, will in the next breath say that some lives, including many black lives, simply don't matter at all. One in five pregnancies in America ends in abortion. One in five. But only one in 10 white pregnancies ends in abortion.
2: One in three black babies is aborted. Nearly 20 million. African-Americans who should be here today are not. And no one cares. Everybody talks about police brutality, taking black lives, and we should talk about that. It's a tragedy.
0: Everybody talks about violent crime, taking black lives, and we should. It's an absolute tragedy. Everybody talks about COVID-19, sort of inordinately taking black lives, and we should talk about that. It's an injustice.
2: But more black lives will be lost to abortion this year than to police brutality, homicide, COVID-19, car accidents, diabetes, and heart disease combined. How dare we? say any of us that black lives matter when we have this situation just sitting over our heads and no one seems to care.
0: Among women who chose to have an abortion in 2017, 74% said they, they couldn't have a baby right now because it would dramatically change their life. 73% said, I can't afford to have a baby. 48% said, I don't want to be a single mother. said I've completed my childbearing and 1.5% said I'm a victim of rape or incest. And the only reason I share this is to say that clearly, although there are some instances of extreme circumstances, clearly in most cases, we're dealing with a choice of convenience. And I hesitate to use that word just because I feel judgy, but there's no other word for it. It's not a necessary, medically necessary procedure. In the overwhelming majority of cases, how dare we say something like people say, like all lives matter in America. How dare we say that it's about women's health care when more than half of the babies aborted each year are
2: future women, they're girls. How dare we say liberty and justice for all? when the smallest and most vulnerable humans are deemed unworthy of life just because of their temporary location. I pray we're all convicted by this. Listen, I know three things for sure. I know that most everyone believes
0: that taking innocent life is wrong. And I know that most everyone believes that an unborn child in the womb is an innocent life. And I think that most everyone knows deep down that abortion generally is an affront to the intrinsic and
2: equal worth of all human beings. We know it. We're just scared to say it. And we're scared to say it for different reasons.
0: Some good and some not so good. We're scared to say it because, you know, we don't want to seem judgy. We're scared to say it because we don't want to be Republicans. Some of us, we're scared to say it because we don't want to sound like people that have sounded like jerks to us in the past. Some of us are scared to say it because we simply don't feel we have the moral leg to stand on while calling out someone else's sin. And that is true. We don't. We do not. And, you know, uh, from the Christian perspective, if anyone has behaved in morally repugnant ways where abortion is concerned. It's not the politicians and and justices who have justified abortion in America. It's not the doctors who have performed abortions in America. It's not the women who have chosen to have abortions in America. It is in my mind,
2: as far as the God of the Bible is concerned, the people who bear his name. It is the church. It's the first place I look.
0: That's the first place I feel convicted is that the church has, by and large, chosen to stand on the sidelines and point fingers in judgment instead of helping women in need, instead of adopting unwanted children into our privileged homes, instead of going all in with agencies like LifeHouse, where Meredith works. I have already begun to pray for the day that I look out at our congregation on a Sunday morning and see that like a third of our families are fostering or adopting, children who are otherwise unwanted. We can do that. We have the means. We can make that happen instead of sitting around and talking and just making people feel bad for choices they've made in the past. We can make a real difference. And I'm starting to pray for the Holy Spirit to nudge us toward supporting more moms who choose life and taking care of more unwanted children because although they may be unwanted by the world, No child is ever unwanted by God. Jesus' brother James said this in James 1, 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress,
2: to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And then Jesus himself in Matthew 25, verse 40, said, truly I tell you, whatever you do for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you do for me. Pray that these words are received, that we are
0: all convicted, and that the Holy Spirit nudges us towards some real change so that our lives reflect our values as, uh, as we treasure every human life intrinsically and equally. I want to thank again our guest Meredith for being with us today. You're such a blessing, and uh, I wanted to know if there maybe was any final thoughts or words you wanted to share. If not, that's okay. But is there anything that came to mind for you?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I want to say be encouraged. I know that it seems seems insurmountable mm. the task in front of us, and I know that it seems heavy and dark at times as well. And you look at the stats and the figures and all of that, but I see every single day women's hearts who are changing. I see, just like I talked about the story before, I see these incredible stories of these flowers that are blooming and blossoming and they're falling in love with Jesus and generations are being changed, but it happens one by one. And so I want to tell the church to be encouraged. We're in this together. Mm. We're in this together.
0: Yeah. Amen. That's a good word. Thank Mm -hmm. you, Meredith. I um, thank you all of y'all for, for listening in. I know this isn't an easy subject. I just invite you now to just pray and let the Holy Spirit speak to you as, as we pray together. Father, this is a, this is a difficult subject and, and we need your grace to intercede here, to intervene because um, a lot of us have a lot of questions, a lot of doubts about this subject and a lot of us just... We don't really wanna change our minds ever because it would mean a lot of uh, backtracking from things we've said in the past or things we've done in the past. Lord, I pray that you help us to see that no matter what we've said or done in the past, there's always grace. There's always grace. Lord, there's always mercy. Where you're concerned, there's always mercy. And no matter what we've done or said in the past, there's always freedom to come to you and to be received as as a son, as a daughter, Lord. We thank you for that grace. I pray for those in our community who are hurting or for whom this issue that we've discussed today might be especially personal. And I pray that you would continue to mend wounds and help your church to be a place of healing here at The Story. And I also pray for our city here as we look around us here in Houston and we know that there are a lot of people who are afraid, a lot of women, mothers who are pregnant and afraid and unsure, Lord. And I pray for a day when the church rises up to meet the needs where they are, to meet your people where they are, and to be the hands and feet and heart of Jesus
2: every day in our city. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.